talking about the Green Mile, boss. And we're here to try and take it back. Cast and the last in our Stephen King Under the Dome crossover. I am joined again by Karen. Hello. Hello, Corey. Ah, so I'm very excited to uh, get into this last episode on the Green Mile. Yeah, I think I left the best for last. Oh, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> this one gets me every time I watch it. Yeah, it's very much so. I, you know, it's been a while since I've watched it, but uh, a little tear. A little tear. <laughs> I'm glad my <laughs> husband was at work today. I was just sobbing. <laughs> All right. Well, let's kick the show off at the beginning and talk about some trailers that we've seen this week. So what have you seen? Sure. I saw the trailer for Trainwreck, which looks seriously funny. Amy Schumer, Bill Hader, a bunch of other comedians in it. She's a serial dater and she meets Bill Hader and Bill Hader wants a relationship. Looks great. <laughs> I love Bill Hader. I do too. <laughs> Whenever he do Stefan on oh God, uh, SNL, I, love I, I would lose it every time. But he's good in other things too. I mean, not just Stefan, but Stefan was amazing, <laughs> right? I mean, yes. every time Stefan came on, I just died laughing. And of course, he did the movie last year with Kristen Wiig, The Skeleton Twins. Yes, was that was amazing. great too. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. They go out on a date, and he calls the next day, and she's sitting there with a girlfriend, and she's like, did you just butt dial me? No, I called with my fingers. And and her friend's like, oh, my God, hang up. He obviously has a brain tumor. Because <laughs> no guy would ever call the day after, you know. So it looks funny. Um, and then I saw the trailer for the live action Cinderella by Disney, which is, it looks like a remake of Ever After, which was a remake of Cinderella. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, not that that's a bad thing. It looks pretty decent to me uh, as a, far as like a chick flick goes. But uh, I just thought it was funny that they're remaking a remake of their own movie. Oh, yeah. Well, Disney's going to beat stuff like that to death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> and it's all pretty people, and even the yeah. bad guys are pretty people. So I wonder how it's going to end. Mm. Oh, gee, the... I wonder. Yeah. <laughs> all the happily bad guys after, are going to get their comeuppance, and all the <laughs> good guys are going to end up happily ever after. Yes. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm quite sure. Okay, so I, well, I wanted to bring up the trailer for Jupiter Ascending. Alrighty. Because it is finally due out. It was supposed to come out back in November, and they delayed it to come out at the end of February, so it should be out the next week or so. But, you know, the, the trailer's kind of got me intrigued, because I was looking forward to it back in November, but, uh, you know, I just I went and checked out the trailer again this week. And, you know, a lot of people seem to be bagging it out. They don't think it's going to do very well. Um, I'd be surprised if it does. Yeah. But uh, it still looks interesting, you know, an interesting sci-fi. You know, it's going up against that juggernaut Mm. of lady porn. (laughs) Which I am not sure is going to do well either. No, me either. (laughs) Who knows? I didn't think the book would do well either, but... (sighs) Yeah. yeah, and I know you blog about stuff like that. 
I do. So, yeah. If you want to see a movie that's good, like Fifty Shades of Grey, go watch Secretary. That's all I can say. Yeah, because, you know, I haven't read the book and I don't intend to see the movie. But what I get from the trailer is, you know, all that nostalgic time I've been bridled and whipped and, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Spend a few days going over contracts before I engage in such activity. Right. Which, so the movie just sounds riveting. Yeah. Well, Secretary <laughs> is amazing, and it's such a great movie compared to... and it, it, I mean, it's in, in the same vein, but it's good. <laughs> and uh, it has James Spader in it, so... I mean, mm, how can you... Interesting. How can you lose... Well, enough about that. Jupiter Ascending. I am going to go and see it because it looks interesting. (laughs) And uh, the other one I did want to mention was Aloha. I haven't even heard of that. It's Cameron Crowe's new movie. And I know last week we mentioned Cameron Crowe because of the little Easter egg when they burn the manuscript. Right. Which is a little unfair here and there because there is a a few Cameron Crowe movies that I like. Uh, The ones that come to mind would be almost famous in Elizabeth Town. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in seeing this one. It's, you got your Bradley Cooper and your Emma Stone. So I think it could be good. I don't hate Cameron Crowe. <laughs> I don't know why they, why they were hating on him so much. Well, it was mostly for Say Anything. So. Yeah, I know. Say Anything isn't bad either. But, yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's about like a, a naval base in Hawaii and the finer points of getting in a relationship with someone who's also serving. So, Oh, okay. could well, be interesting. interesting. Yeah. I'll have to go watch the trailer for that. Movies in theater. <laughs> yes. Goose egg <laughs> for me again. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I went and saw Wild, which is Reese Witherspoon's new movie. Very well done, I think, um, about a woman who takes uh, a trek across America over uh, a few-month period. And, uh, you know, the struggles of coming to terms with things that have happened in her life. You know, she gets a bit down with, uh, you know, deaths and uh, sex addiction and all kinds of stuff. She takes this big trek right across America. and Yeah, it's a a very well done story. Very well acted from Reese Witherspoon. So I I recommend that. Excellent. And then last night, I went and saw a good Australian movie. And that movie is called Wormwood. It's, uh, I brought up the trailer for this uh, for maybe a couple of months back now. But uh, it's a zombie film made here in Australia, completely independent. And uh, it is amazing. It did really well on the American feature film festivals. Oh, okay. Yeah, it did like a whole American-Canadian feature film festival tour and did really well. So it came out here yesterday, which was Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. And great turnout, great film. If you just like real, like Mad Max style independent film, feature filmmaking. Cool. And if you like zombies, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's got a, it's got a really un, unique take on the zombie as well. So another high recommend there. Excellent by Kia Roach Turner. That's the one. Awesome. And we actually even had a couple of the actors show up to the screening as well. Oh, very nice. Yeah, so that was cool. It, it, is there any? 
absinthe in it? Absinthe. I guess you're too young to know what that is. <laughs> well, no, I actually have a bottle of absinthe. Okay. That I Wormwood is the Europe. thing that makes absinthe. Oh, of course. Right. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I won't spoil what Wormwood is. Okay. It's, you know, mentioned in the plot of the film. But... Oh, all right. But no absinthe. No absinthe. Okay. No. It's spelled differently as well. Yeah, yeah, I know. W-Y-R-M-W-O-O-D. Okay. So the, the word actually has something to do with the plot then? Well, it has to do with why they are, there are zombies. Awesome. Yeah. I might have and to it's a pretty cool, that. yeah, it's a pretty cool explanation too. <laughs> Excellent. I like it. I'll have to go see it. Yes. I didn't pick up anything new on DVD or Blu-ray this week. Me neither. But I have been binge-watching Star Trek The Next Generation on Netflix. Oh, very cool. Is a great thing to do in your spare time. Mm-hmm. It's on <laughs> BBC America here. They show it in huge chunks at mm. a time here. So uh, it's easy to binge-watch. I yeah. think it's on like six at a time. On BBC America yeah. on on the weekends. Well, the reason I wanted to watch it was because there was this great video that popped up over Christmas oh, yeah. of uh, Picard singing "Let It Snow," but instead of "Let It Snow," it was "Make It So." Right. Yeah. And it was so funny. Yeah. There's a part where Wesley's like, "Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> shut up, Wesley! Yeah. <laughs> shut up, Wesley!" <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, Will Wheaton went on at midnight and. Mm. Um, he said at the beginning of the show when he got introduced, he said, I just want to say right here, yes, I've seen the video. Don't tweet me anymore about it. <laughs> Hilarious. I know. I like him a lot. All right. So getting into this week's movie, which is The Green Mile from 1999, do you have a movie memory? I do. I wrote it in the document. I don't nice. love to read things from what I wrote. So it's going to sound like I'm reading something. But yeah. it's because I am. Um, <laughs> I saw Michael Jeter in The Fisher King in 1991. And I was thrilled to see him in another movie, especially in one with Tom Hanks. Not that I wasn't already sold. By this time, I knew which King movies I'd like and which I wouldn't. And I could tell I'd love this one. So Hubs and I got our tickets and saw this in the theater. So many great performances from familiar faces and an amazing discovery in Michael Clark Duncan. We had to sit in the theater for a couple of minutes to gather ourselves and noticed we weren't the only ones. It's just that kind of movie. And I also wanted to mention, I talked to Corey for a minute. There is a line at the end of the movie where John Coffey says... There are lots of people in this room that hate me. It's like bee stinging me. And I just wanted to mention that Stephen King's language at this part is very synesthetic. And um, being someone with synesthesia, it, it's so vivid to me, that image. It's, you know, every once in a while he'll use language in his books and movies that really jump off the page at me like that so uh, you know in this movie in particular because of how john coffee sees things this movie just struck me very deeply so that that may be another reason why i love this movie yeah it's definitely how it's played in the movie i can't speak to the book i've never read it but you know you could take it as just a descriptive mm -hmm. term but yeah in the movie they definitely play that synesthetic kind of angle hyper empathetic sort of with a, a mm. bit of a power behind it as well. So 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an empath sort of, you know, so, I mean, he can feel others' pain. Yeah. So I could see that translating into a like a major synesthetic sort of power. And having said that, I out of the three movies that we're talking about for this set, I think this is probably the most Stephen yeah. King <laughs> – ish kind of story that we're going to get to so uh, we'll get into it into a bit but first uh, a bit of film history it is uh written by frank darabont for the screenplay and stephen king for the novel of course people will know frank darabont these days as the creator of the walking dead tv series he was well known before then (laughs) yes exactly he he also directed uh this film and he's directed a few stephen king adaptations in his time he directed uh the shawshank redemption and the mist and the mist yeah going even a bit further back into his history when he was in film school which i believe was ucla the school had the rights to several stephen king short stories Mm -hmm. from the night shift collection i think it Mm. was and his graduate film is a Stephen King adaptation. Awesome. About uh, a man struggling with his dying mother in hospital. Wow. Um, yeah, it is online. It's on YouTube. So I suggest people go and check it out. Excellent. I'm guessing you could just put in Darabont King or something. Yeah. <laughs> I forget what it's called off the top of my head. Sorry. But uh, right. I did watch it a fair while ago. Very cool. He's very talented. Yes, very much so. Especially with his... Uh, king films all right so did you want to take the starring list sure okay lots of people in this yeah this is a list (laughs) (laughs) tom hanks plays the lead role as paul edgecombe and david morris is brutus brutal howell bonnie hunt is paul edgecombe's wife jan edgecombe michael clark duncan plays john coffee not spelled like the beverage as he says Doug Hutchinson is Percy Wetmore. <laughs> Jeffrey DeMunn is Harry Terwilliger. Barry Pepper is Dean Stanton, not Harry Dean Stanton, who we'll hear from in a moment. Uh, Sam Rockwell is William Wild Bill Wharton. Michael Jeter is Edward Del Delacroix. James Cromwell as Warden Hal Moore. Patricia Clarkson is Melinda Moore. Harry Dean Stanton as Toot Toot. <laughs> <laughs> Dabs Greer is old Paul Edgecombe, Gary Sinise as Bert Hammersmith, and Graham Greene as Arlen Bitterbuck. Yes, so a few people in this. Mm-hmm. A lot of big names. Yes, indeed. <laughs> we have music by Thomas Newman, who I'm not too familiar with. Mm-hmm. But the budget was $60 million, which... For the starring cast in this is low. Yeah, no kidding. They really must have read it and thought, I'll do this for whatever. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> and the worldwide box office, 136800000 and some change. So pretty damn good. Yeah, big return. All right, so awards and accolades. Now, as we mentioned last week, there's only ever been one Stephen King adaptation that's won an Oscar, and that was Kathy Bates in Misery. Yep. But this film did get a few... Oscar nominations, a few, which I think they probably should have won. Yeah. So it was up for Best Picture for uh, to David Valdes, that's the producer, and of course Frank Darabont. Mm-hmm. Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Michael Clark Duncan. That's the one they should have won. I think yeah. so, yes. <laughs> Best Writing Screenplay Based on Material Previously Produced or Published, Frank Darabont. And Best Sound, Robert J. Litt, Elliot Tyson, Michael Herbeck and Willie D. Burton. 
Yeah, Michael Clark Duncan should have won that, really. He definitely should yeah. have. I don't even know if you could class it as a supporting role. I guess probably yeah, due to the Tom amount Hanks. of time he is on screen. Yeah, and yes. Tom Hanks is a much bigger name. That's I true. mean, I think that's what they went by. But still. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of shrugging <laughs> a little bit. It's, uh, the scales are even on that one to me. Yes. So, Golden Globes, USA 2000. It was nominated Best Performance by an Actor in a Supporting Role in a Motion Picture. Again, Michael Clark Duncan. Only the one for the Golden Globes, which is very surprising. Mm-hmm. It is. You would think it was nominated for Best Picture as well, but... Yeah. There was a lot of stuff out that year, though. Yeah, I'd have to look it up to know exactly what it was going up against. 99. But uh, finally, we have the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA 2000, of course, known as the Saturns. It won mm-hmm. Best Action Adventure Thriller Film, mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actor, Michael Clark Duncan, so he at least got some recognition mm-hmm. and best supporting actress to patricia clarkson which is actually quite surprising because she's in what a total of two scenes in this movie um there's the first scene where they go to see her yeah, at the barbecue yeah. and then the scene where john coffee comes to see three her. if you count the one where she's just sitting on the lawn <laughs> but yeah yeah mm, interesting but she's incredible oh yeah not to say <laughs> not to put down the performance no i know course, but uh, yeah, it's just a very short performance. Yeah. And it was also nominated Best Director Frank Darabont and Best Music for Thomas Newman. So no awards for Darabont, which is a shame. Yeah. Because he also definitely deserves some recognition for this film. Right. Do you want to hear what was um, up for the Golden Globes that year? Yeah. 1999, right? Nine, uh, USA 2000. Oh, hold on. Gladiator, Almost Famous. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Castaway, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, Aaron Brockovich, Traffic, Traffic, Gladiator. Yeah, okay, those are big movies. Yeah, I can understand how maybe Gladiator yeah. could have stolen a few away yeah. from this film. Chocolat, Pollock, Billy Elliot. Those were up for all different movies that year. Yeah. All different awards. Well, there you go. Okay, I get it. So it was a pretty, yeah, it was a pretty good year. Yeah. Like this year's Oscars which I think is also a very yeah, good year for film. Definitely. Mm. All right, so this movie is available on Netflix DVD, Amazon Streaming for rent or purchase, Vudu for rent or purchase, and iTunes for rent or purchase. So not too hard to find. No, but it's worth getting on DVD or Blu-ray, in my opinion. Yeah, it's got some good special features, mm-hmm. some behind-the-scenes stuff. Um, I, I'm pretty sure there was a whole part about when Stephen King comes to set mm-hmm. that they film, filmed, and that's on the special features. Yep. And, and that's very interesting. This isn't like Misery, where you can't watch this one again. You might need some time to decompress in between. <laughs> um, but you can watch this one again. It's like Shawshank. Where, you know, you can come back and watch it again after a little while. It's it's really good. So Yeah, definitely. Well, into the main feature, do you want to take the plot sure. from IMDb? Paul Edgecombe is a slightly cynical veteran prison guard on death row in the 1930s. His faith and sanity, deteriorated by watching men live and die, Edgecombe is about to have a complete turnaround in attitude. Enter John Coffey. He's eight feet tall. He has hands the size of waffle irons. He's been accused of the murder of two children, and he's afraid to sleep in a cell without a nightlight. And Edgecombe, as well as the other prison guards, Brutus, a sympathetic guard, and Percy, a stuck-up, perverse, and violent person, are in for a strange experience that involves intelligent mice, 
brutal executions, and the revelation about Coffee's innocence and his true identity. That's actually given away a bit. I know. Plot summary there at the end. It truly is. (laughs) Coffee's innocence and all that stuff. Plus, it's really vague about other parts. Like, it doesn't even say anything about the old Edgecombe. Yeah. So, if it were me, I would have written about him telling about memories. Yeah, you know, that's kind of the, what am I thinking, the the framing device for the movie mm-hmm. is that it's being He's told from his perspective. Yeah. yeah. You win some and you lose oh, some with I know. The, uh, he could, <laughs> synopsis. It could actually be classified as an unreliable narrator story. <laughs> you know, you'd yeah. never know if it's really true or not, but yeah. So anyway, so production notes and trivia, the prison guards wear uniforms to give the movie a better feel, even though uniforms weren't used at the time in which the movie is set. It's quite interesting. Yeah. In actuality, Michael Clark Duncan is of a similar height as his co-star, David Morse, and is a couple of inches shorter than James Cromwell. Among other things, creative camera angles were used to create the illusion that Duncan, as John Coffey, towered over the prison staff. Even Brutal Howell and Warden Moore. (laughs) That's very clever. I would never have picked that he was short. I know, and they would rebuild a wall so that the door was shorter <laughs> and stuff like that. It was, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I could imagine them putting like different doors on the jail sound right. stuff when they let him in. <laughs> That's really funny. All right, so by the time Paul introduced Elaine to Mr. Jingles, the mouse would have been at least 64 years old, over nine times the age of the oldest ever known real mouse. Oh, it's an old Mr. mouse. Jingles. And he was all Mr. Jingles. he was all grey. According to one of the features on the DVD, Stephen King called this film the single most faithful adaptation of his work. Yes. And for those of you who don't know, Stephen King is usually very critical of any film made about his work. Very. The yeah, Shining being most... a notable example of that. Yeah. <laughs> He went as far as to let them make it again mm. for TV. Making it and himself. that movie, oh, that was just terrible. What, the one for TV? <laughs> the TV Shining. I like yeah. the TV Shining. I don't like Kubrick, <sighs> so yeah. that could be why. If, you, yeah, if you'd rather see the scene with the axe play out with a croquet mallet, then go and see that movie. <laughs> there you go. Jeez. Well, look, God. I can't complain. I did like that version better because i just don't like kubrick very much to each his own yeah well i just okay i'm not gonna get into it (laughs) (laughs) you and i could talk about it later (laughs) so doug hutchison plays percy was given according to the director frank darabont the squeakiest shoes he's he'd ever heard he thought this was the greatest bit of fate and a perfectly wonderful annoying character trait that he kept it in the movie and you can hear sometimes how loud his shoes are. Yep, it was a wonderful <laughs> twist of fate. Yeah. God, Percy. Uh, probably one of the characters I hate the most in all of movie history. Percy. <sighs> Just the worst. Loathsome character. In yes. It. When Stephen King visited the set, he asked to be strapped into old Sparky to see how it felt. He didn't like it and asked to be released. <laughs> Yes, and like I was saying, you can see that on the special features of the DVD. It's quite interesting because he's so excited when he gets there too. It's old Sparky, oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Let's see how you like it now. All right, so more than 30 works of Stephen King have been adapted for movies, but this is the only one to have broken the $100 million mark at the North American box office as of November 2007. So could have changed. I don't know. Has there been a lot of Stephen King adaptations in the last seven or eight years? I don't know. Check and see while I read the next one. When Melinda Moore, Patricia Clarkson, is visited by Joan Coffey, Michael Clark Duncan. She gives him a St. Christopher medal. In Catholicism, St. Christopher is known as the patron saint of travelers. John Coffey describes himself as a wanderer and, like Coffey, died a martyr. Well, I've just done a quick look, too, and I can't really see if there's been any successful Stephen King adaptation since, since 2007. They did a TV version of Children of the Corn. Yeah, I think this is the last really big Stephen King movie, I think. Yeah, because The Mist was, that didn't even really get much no, of it didn't a, get over 100, cinematic 000. release, did it? Mm-hmm. Or 100 million. Uh, I'm sorry, 100 million. <laughs> it got over 100,000, I think we could <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Uh, Michael Clark Duncan was uncomfortable with having to <laughs> grab Tom Hanks' crutch for the scene where he takes his effect- infection away. Hanks left the set. Came back to do the scene, Duncan grabbed at Hank's crotch and was shocked because Hanks had put an empty water bottle down his pants. After that, Duncan felt more comfortable with the scene. <laughs> I love that. We yeah. are never actually told why Arlen Bitterbuck and Edward Delacroix were sentenced to death throughout the film. According to the novel on which the movie is based, Delacroix is an arsonist, rapist, and murderer while Bitterbuck murdered a man in an argument over a pair of boots. Yes, I did notice that, actually, watching it, that they never really get into their story, their criminal history. Mm -hmm. So good to know. Yeah. I don't like to think that Delacroix really did anything, personally. And, you know, crossing mediums, you know, Darabont could have intended it to be something different. Well, Percy calls him a really nasty word at the end. I kind of want to believe that they got him for sodomy. I kind of want to think, like, back then that would have been a crime, like a huge crime. Yeah. And and that might be what they got him for. And that, that would be his rape. So who knows? Right. So it's like rape is the best term they could come up right. with to convict. Right. And then they may have blamed him for other stuff. I don't know. I kind of want him to be innocent of everything because I just... Yeah, I know. I like He's him very so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The whole the whole bits with him and Mr. Jingles are fantastic. I know. <laughs> and everyone else, to be honest. He's just so yes. sweet. But anyway. So I... I guess getting into the film proper, I was shocked when I went to watch this movie because it is just over three hours long. Mm -hmm. You know, a three-hour runtime is usually reserved for big, grand, scoping epics. Mm -hmm. And, you know, not to say that this movie isn't deserving of, 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 you know, the, the justice of story or anything like that, but I'm not sure I would call this, you know, a sweeping epic of it's any a, kind. It's a very it's, quiet film, to be honest. It's Yeah, it's, it's a very nice drama with some fantastical undertones yeah. to it. I, would, I don't think I'd call it epic at all. I think, it, to me, it has a wide feeling, but uh, it's in a small vehicle, if that yeah. makes sense, <laughs> in pretentious movie terms. <laughs> yeah well at the same time by the time i'd finished it it didn't feel like three hours and it really does feel like they've given the story justice so 
the runtime really doesn't bother me at nope. all. Not a bit. As long me. as you have three hours to spare right. when you watch it. Right. <laughs> exactly. I don't mind at all spending three hours to watch this movie. And usually I get really restless at an hour and a half for a movie. And there's a lot of mystery behind the stories in this film as mm-hmm. well. And it really happens from the get-go. Because we've got this framing structure of the old man in the nursing home. Right. Every morning he gets up, he gets some dry toast, and then goes for a walk. And he goes to this cabin, and you don't really know why he's there. That's an undercurrent for the whole film. Right. Like, what, why is he going on these walks every day? Right. And it sets up the movie proper because he sits down with a friend and tells her the story of working on what they call the Green Mile. Right. And you just completely forget about him walking to the cabin with the toast. And it's like a bookend for the movie. And it makes you sob <laughs> again at the Exactly. When it comes up again, you're like, oh, well, you know, it's finally coming back around. We're coming in yeah. for a close. And it is just beautiful. But um, pretty much the story kicks off proper by introducing the Green Mile. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's called the Green Mile because it's death row, but the floors are a lime green color. Mm-hmm. So that's why they call it the Green Mile. Yep. And Mr. Toot Toot, walking the mile, walking the mile. Yes. Crazy old toot. And I don't, you know, I'm not sure this is a, um, a trope or not of the guards yelling out that, dead man walking. Or if that was just a way of setting up that Percy is a complete and utter awful human being. Yeah, I don't. I think it's used a lot. I don't know if it's a trope. I don't know if it's real. You know, I didn't even think twice about it because they use it all the time in movies. And yeah, stuff. and that's what makes it a trope. Well, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, it is a really annoying thing to yes. do. And it does show Tom Hanks, and I guess to an extent, Brutal's um, characters as well. Yeah. Because straight away Tom Hanks is just telling him to shut right. up. This isn't a joke. These are men who have been convicted of crimes and they are going to die. Right. You know, And regardless of what they've done, you still need to treat them like a human being. Right. I highly doubt they actually do that in real life. Well, you know, uh, there's very little places in, I guess, America that still have executions. I mean, how many states still execute people? Oh, I don't know. It can't be that many. Maybe a handful, a few. right? I think my state still does. And even then, they don't use the electric chair anymore. Oh, uh, I think. It's all very No, hum- I think humane. some states still use the electric chair. Oh, for real? Yeah. Wow. I do. And then there's lethal injection. Yes. The more that's, humane that's most form of, of them, yes. Say. But I think the electric chair is still used. Yeah. But you can't imagine that they pull them in oh, and... Look that up. Dead man walking. It seems like it would be considered cruel. Yeah. Not to say that... Execution isn't cruel, but... Well, it is, but, yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. So, you know, at the same time, it's it's an interesting story from the aspect of being set on on death row in that era. It's like, this movie can only be set in this time period. Mm -hmm. Like, would it be as interesting if it was, say, set in England in the late 1800s or something like that it wouldn't be the same film right so for the tone you're going for the setting is really really interesting right it is i like the time period in which it's set because it gives the whole movie that atmosphere almost like a sepia tone atmosphere yeah because everyone is in that period costume and and it's just got that feeling you know john coffee's wearing the overalls and it's just so it's 
full of that atmosphere. It's amazing. Yeah, and that's actually a point I wanted to bring up is the fact that John Coffey wears these denim overalls the whole mm-hmm. time. And all the other prisoners have their prison garb, mm-hmm. really, the black and white stripes. Right. It's a good touch because you think, do they have any prison clothes that would fit an eight-foot man? Right. Probably not. Right. <laughs> so they just bring him in with the clothes that were on his back. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's a cool little touch. Here's, here's some facts for you, by the way. Mm. 32 states allow the death penalty right now. Oh, for yep. That much? That many. And lethal injection wow. is the only method used right now. So. Okay. But 2008 is when it was used, is when it was changed over. So it hasn't been that long. Mm. Uh, 2009 was the last time someone was electrocuted. There you go. Well, you see, I don't think about it very much because we don't have the death right. penalty in Australia. Right. Um, we don't change between states. It's just, it's a, it's a whole thing. Australia doesn't execute right. people. So 32 states. 32. That's actually a lot more than I thought. I thought it would be like five or well, something like that. We don't exactly execute a lot of people every year. I mean, it's... It's a very long, drawn-out process, right? it is. We, I mean, a lot of outside countries think that we're, you know, quick to put people to death, and we really aren't. Just so people know, (laughs) we're really not. Well, you know, just stepping away from the Green Mile for a second, I think the last time I saw anything kind of related to this field was the movie monster mm-hmm. with Charlie Stare on the story of Eileen Warnos. Right. And I found that really interesting because Eileen Warnos was ostensibly begging to be executed. Right. She didn't want to waste the court's time or anything like right. that. She, she pretty much accepted that she deserves to die for her crimes and was trying to push it for many, many years. So I think her case was actually quite streamlined and it still took about a decade well, yeah, for them to set, settle on being executed. There's still a process. That we have to go. Yeah, through. exactly. So, so yeah, it's uh, it's not something we take lightly here. But uh, you know, we are introduced to an excellent cast of of characters, not only in the prison guards but in the inmates as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, we meet Dell, and then we meet Arlen Bitterbuck. That is also an interesting character because they bring up the point of taking them into a room to pray, and they mention that you know they. They think that maybe he's going to do some sort of, you know, Indian dance or something like that, you know? And it's not that at all, because Tom Hanks is like, well, he's a Christian man. (laughs) So he's just going to come in here and pray. So don't worry about it, you know? Again, just like little touches like that, you know? We're not going to go crazy with our characters, make them cliched, one-dimensional characters. Mm Mm-hmm. Almost every character in this film is fully fledged and three-dimensional. It's really, really well done. Yeah, and he's only in it for a few minutes. And mind you, this is Graham Greene, who is a very prolific actor in his own right. So to cast him in a role that he's only on the screen for a few minutes and he barely says a word... Uh, that's saying something. They really wanted someone that could do something with those few minutes. Absolutely. And, that, that you know, that, there's a few characters like that throughout the film, too. Um, Patricia Clarkson, of course. Mm. Uh, like we said, she's in a total of two scenes. James Cromwell, I mean, he's got maybe a bit of a bigger part, but he's still not in it a lot. They are so memorable oh, in yeah. their scenes, yeah. these people. I know. Gary Sinise has a total of one scene. Right. So... 
Right. Yeah. And again, it's not hard for you to remember he's in this movie. I think this movie is great for stuff like that. And like I was saying, it's just throughout, there's all these little touches that make it so amazing. I think this is an early performance for Sam Rockwell as well. Like, yes, I think it this is. was a big breakout performance for him. It is. It's definitely not his first performance because I remember him in the first Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> yeah. As, as the guy who gives kids cigarettes. I don't think that's where he was, like, discovered, <laughs> but I remember him from that. Um, I think maybe this was the role that got him other roles. Yeah. Um, like, people saw him in this and said, oh, we got to give him a part in our film. I remember thinking to myself, okay, that guy is gross, but I think that actor might go places. Definitely. And, like, and then, right, right <laughs> after this, he was doing Galaxy Quest. Which was I just, loved him in Galaxy Quest, I, though. Yeah, hilarious performance. As Guy. Yeah, Guy. <laughs> he's, so the, he's pretty much the red shirt, yeah. Yeah. So funny. So great. And then Moon. I mean, to follow that up with Moon. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Anyway, I'm sure we'll get into all his films in a few minutes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but yeah, he was weird in this movie, but you could just tell he was going to be something and he is he's an amazing actor when you're talking about all the characters being memorable in this i i want to make a point about frank darabont and i think that's kind of one of his hallmarks is like taking casting past the point of serious where it's almost like he handpicks every single role to make it as memorable as possible he seems to do that for every movie and every tv show he's involved in mm -hmm. and you can see that with everything, I mean, even down to things like The Walking Dead, with um, I know he was only involved with like the first season of The Walking Dead, but every single role that was cast, even you know the little things that you didn't see past the first episode were so memorable. He knew what he was doing casting those roles, and I remember things from some of his movies that like I can't remember. Half of the plot, but I remember the people that were in it mm. from movies that he was involved in or TV shows he was involved in. And he also has favorites like Jeffrey DeMunn yes. is in almost everything that Frank Darabont does. And that includes those three Stephen King movies that Frank Darabont was involved in. Yes, I think especially The Mist. There was a right. lot of people in The Mist who he brought on to The Walking Dead. Right. So, yeah, he's he's got favorites, so he does that. And he also is very picky about who he casts and things. So I think that's kind of a hallmark of Frank Darabont, and that it really shows in this movie. Definitely. And we're going to have to talk about him. <laughs> but the character of Percy Wetmore. Ugh. Like I was saying, he's just I know. a loathsome character. We have to character. talk about him, definitely. But the actor... Doug Hutchison. He does such a great job. Yeah, you know, I guess in recent years, people might recognize him as Horace in Lost. Right. I always remember him as the stretchy, live-eating guy from X-Files. Yes. <laughs> he always yes. had the yellow skin and could, you know, stretch himself between stuff. <laughs> but yeah, he's got a knack for, for playing creepy. Yeah. Sure. And here he plays creepy and loathsome, and it's just, it's a fantastic performance. You know? yeah. That's what oh, you yeah. get from him, is He's creepy great. and loathsome. Yeah. He embodies this role of Percy. I mean, he, every second he's on the screen, you can see it. It's almost like even down to like every facial tick, mm -hmm. he is Percy. 
you know, yeah. his walk and, you know, the way he tilts his head and everything is just, ugh. <laughs> I just, oh, I hate Percy so much. Just everything. It's like if he walked into a room that I was in, I would just immediately say, oh, I hate that guy. Yeah. You know, even if I didn't know him, I would be like, oh, that guy is just awful. I can tell right now. He's awful. Yeah. I don't want to talk to him. And you can tell. And again, this is another hallmark of the casting. He knew that guy was going to be perfect for the role of Percy. And he was. So I can't argue with it at all. It was perfect casting. He did a great job with the character. And, I, you know, I feel like I hate that guy. But I know I don't. I mean, I have to give him super props because he did such a great job with that character. I kind of like that guy, you know. <laughs> because <laughs> he just did so well with that character so yeah i yeah. bet he's such a nice guy in real life yeah yeah and it's like you were saying when it comes to to frank darabont casting the perfect person for the role because he really does and it's very polarizing in this film because as heartfelt as this movie is it is also very difficult to watch sometimes sure because of what's going on you know and even if it's just as simple as wild bill pissing on them or sure. you know something like that and then as far as seeing the crimes that wild bill has done mm -hmm. and then seeing percy's true nature right you know it's very difficult and it polarizes against john coffee who is a, an extremely innocent man as we find out throughout the film, you know, they do the flashback to the crime that John Coffey had committed and there is nothing really damning about it other than the fact that he was found with the girls in his arms and that he's a huge black man. Right. You know, and in that era, that is enough to convict him. Oh, sure. More than enough. That was guilty right there. Exactly. And then, of course, we've got the intermediary, which is the character of Dell who we know is probably guilty of the crimes that he's in there for. Sure. But he's a truly repentant character. Mm -hmm. And, of course, they team him up with Mr. Jingles, oh. <laughs> the circus mouse. Yeah. So everything that happens with him, it just makes you fall in love with that character. You know, you don't want to see anything bad happen to him. I know. And then just the most horrifying thing in the world happens to him. Exactly. It's terrible. Yeah. Yes. But that, again, it makes you hate Percy even more. I know. It's like afterwards when he's just like this cowardly little worm of a character saying, oh, I didn't know the sponge had to be wet. Yeah, you did. And he's like, you did, you little, oh, yeah. God, I would just punch you in the face if I mm -hmm. was in that room with you. I don't think I'd just punch him in the face. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might shove him into that chair with him. Yeah, and I mean, that's, again, it's a difficult scene to watch, but when it comes to the character of getting his comeuppance, I mean, that's just brilliant, you know, the yeah. way that John Coffey infects him, I guess. Yeah, he has to have done something heinous. Yeah, and he just shoots Wild Bill dead and then just loses his mind. Right. And ends up in that mental institution where he yeah. was supposed to transfer to work... Right. But instead, he gets sent there as a patient. So, right. wrote and, and help Percy. And it, I think his plan was he was going to go there to torture the patients. Probably. And yeah. so now he gets to experience what it was going to be like to be one of those patients and perhaps get tortured himself. Yes. So, oh well, karma. 
<laughs> That's all I have to say. Yeah. You know, talking about John Coffey, a wonderful performance for Michael Clark Duncan, like mm. we said. I think this is probably the best performance he ever gave. Of course, yeah. he's, not, he's not with us anymore. I know. He died uh, a few years ago now. Yeah, three years ago. Two yeah. and a half years ago. Oh, man, I cried when I heard he died. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he ever got to this level of acting again. He did play a lot of imposing roles after mm -hmm. this, rather than this uh, sort of softer, gentle yeah. giant kind of roles. He didn't really go with this. And, of course, why would he? You know, why would an actor want to keep repeating themselves? Yeah, he used to go on Craig Ferguson a lot. Mm. Craig Ferguson did this one thing where he would read, oh, what's her name? Jennifer Love Hewitt wrote a book, and there was a chapter on vajazzling, where you decorate right. your nether mm -hmm. regions. Mm -hmm. And he had Michael Clark Duncan come on and read that part of the book aloud. <laughs> and so he would do things like that. He would have Michael Clark Duncan, this really big, imposing man, come on and read like poetry or, or this sort of thing, like, you know, a woman's thing out loud with like happy music in the background and things and so that's kind of what i remember him from in the last few years of his life and that you know that's the kind of thing that i was like oh crap i won't get to see stuff like that anymore you know that was wonderful and of course he was engaged to omarosa which i don't get at all she was just terrible but whatever <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, getting in, into the character himself, what would be your interpretation of, of his character? Like, they, you know, they refer to him as, as a simple-minded man. They actually use the term retarded, which is something we don't really say anymore. It's not Yeah, but back then correct. it was. Of course, yeah. But, you know, that's kind of how they, they describe him. Of course, they come to think of him as, as something much, much more than that. What would you interpret his character to be? I don't think he was dumb. I think he wasn't educated, mm. uh, which was the case for most black men and women back then. But I think he knew more about character than other people did. And that, that was the more important thing than book learning, as yeah. it were. You know, he knew how to read people right away. And it wasn't just empathy. It was knowing how to read someone's character by their face, by the way they carried themselves, by other things. And, you know, caring about people that, that deserved caring about, uh, that shows a lot about a person. And I don't think you need to be well-educated to be smart. Mm. And I, I do think he was smart, but not in a typical way i don't think he was um learning impaired i think yeah. if he was taught he would have been just as smart as anyone else well there was a side that i took from it that possibly he was angelic mm -hmm. you know it's hard to explain like is he infused with with this angelicness or is he maybe like part human part angel mm. to that extent because of these powers that he has you know there's the wonderful scene between tom hanks and and michael clark duncan where they, he's talking about you know what do i say to god mm -hmm. when he asked me why i killed one of his true miracles so i think when it comes to that side of it i actually think that they are hinting towards that maybe he has this angelic side of him when it comes to his his ability so partially otherworldly that would make sense yeah exactly and I think he has a certain sense of that side of things. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he he definitely knew enough not to go around uh, flaunting his ability. Mm-hmm. You know, and it could almost be played as a trope of the you know the magical black man. You know, sure. voodoo powers or something like that. They completely steer clear of that. Well. Also, I think it's pretty evident he was trying to heal those girls. Yes. And you notice when they came upon him, he didn't heal them, even though he has risen things from the dead as he did Mm. to the mouse. So perhaps there was part of him that knew he needed to be in that prison. So he didn't resurrect those children and he took the rap for the crimes. So was something telling him he needed to go into the prison and to sacrifice himself? I mean, that definitely says something to me about him having a higher power, you know, knowing more about things than just a human would know, you know, like a a normal person, even if they had powers would just heal the girls and (laughs) even in front of someone, they would heal the girls and, and get on with things. Yeah, and it it's actually at the beginning there when they first put him in the cell and he turns to Tom Hanks. I keep calling him Tom Hanks. <laughs> he turns to Paul and he says, I tried to take it back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to any person, it sounds like, yes, he did it. That's an admission of guilt, but right. he wishes he hadn't. Right. When we find out later, when he does this thing, you know, he heals the, um, Paul's bladder infection Right. Uh, and he heals the um, the wife of the warden, Melinda. That's how he refers to his ability in taking, taking it, it back. Mm-hmm. They misunderstand what he's trying to say to them. Right. And I think that's also very powerful. Yeah. And I guess in a way, you know, it's like I was saying this sort of angelic metaphor. It could almost be a Jesus metaphor as well. You know, Jesus sure. healed the sick and he was uh, crucified. He died for our sins kind of stuff, you know. Sure. So that could also be a similar metaphor there. And then, you know, he leaves behind something to teach the people that, you know, to live their lives well and all that stuff. And so Holcomb would be that thing instead of the Bible. So, you know, the story comes to a head. You know, we've been following Paul and all the things, you know, they come around to believing that what they witness is, is true miracles. And the scene of John Coffey's execution is just... This is where I was crying. Mm. This is where the tears started to come out. Mm-hmm. They had the the parents of the girls there, you know, yelling, kill him twice and things like that. Like, their mind's made up. He's guilty in their eyes. But all these prison guards who genuinely know that he is not guilty. And that he doesn't deserve any of these things being hurled at him. I cried a bit when, when Del was talking to his mouse and saying goodbye and telling them to take him to Mouseville and stuff. Yeah. I cried at that big time, but not as much as I cried when coffee was going to bite it yeah that was bad and of course you know we kind of need to wrap up our conversation because we're going a bit long here yeah sorry but um you know at the end we go back to the old paul Mm -hmm. telling the story and they come to the math of it Mm -hmm. how old is he actually because the math doesn't really work out and it turns out he's 108 yep he was 44 at the time uh he met john coffee and, you know, there was a moment when John Coffey had grabbed him and transferred some energy to him. When he was showing him the girls and... Yes, Wild the, Bill was the yeah, one. and the painting and all that. Yeah. Yuck. So he takes Elaine up to the cabin and it turns out that he goes up every day to see Mr. Jingles. And gives the toast. 
and gives him the dry toast. <laughs> because it turns out that uh, John Coffey had also brought Mr. Jingles back to life. So, you know, a mouse that is now 65, over 65 years old, Paul doesn't know how long he can live, you know? If a mouse can live that long, then what's this power done to a human being? Yeah, he has to wonder, right? It's almost, he describes it as a, an atonement for yeah. what he did, you know? Yes, he had the conversation with John Coffey about killing one of God's true miracles, but uh, this is how he has to atone for that. He has to continue living and watching the people around him die. Right. And uh, he's certain that one day he will die, but for now he's he's stuck here on Earth. Whereas some people might think of that as a gift, he thinks of it as a curse. And I think it's for a character that you enjoy seeing and you don't really consider what he's doing as being bad. Like we said, John Coffey tells him that he's a good man and that he understands that this has to happen. He still needs to atone for it. So you don't leave the movie feeling bad for him. You leave the movie understanding what has happened. Right. And that's just wonderful. Yeah, I agree. You're not unsettled, but you're still crying, sobbing. Yes, absolutely. And I'd, I'd have to say this is probably the favorite movie of the three we've talked oh, about. Oh, yes. Over the last three weeks. Yes, definitely. I highly recommend. But before we get into our ratings, let's hear from one of our awesome Patreon supporters. So here for the month of February, we're having some one-on-one -on -one conversations with some of our Patreon supporters. And this is a conversation that we recently had with Barb. And she and I got to meet each other in person for the Hawaii event. So she gives us her perspective on that time together. You are one of the people that I got to meet in person when we went to the Hawaii event, the Lost event, a few months ago. That's always cool when I get to meet people face-to-face -face and, and kind of experience some of our life together. Yeah, that was really a lot of fun. And I think that was because I met not only you and Emily and Carrie, who were doing the Lost podcast, but then I also got to meet quite a few other Golden Spiral Media community members. And it was just such fun to see, you know, meet people in person. Again, as you said, to put the name and the face with the voice. And I thoroughly enjoyed it. And, and we just had such a great time. All right. Thanks for that. And thank you, listeners, for considering becoming a Patreon supporter for Golden Sparrow Media. We very much appreciate anything you can do to help support the network. All right. So, Karen, what is your rating for The Green Mile? I got to say... I, I am vacillating between a nine and a half and a ten on this because this movie is so close to perfect. Yeah. It really, really is. But I am going to give it a nine and a half. Maybe push it towards a 9.75. <laughs> Cigar boxes. And I, even I struggle with this. I've said it before. I give tens to perfect movies. And there's only a few that I've seen that I give tens to. So I'm going to bring it down to a nine. Nine old sparkies. Mm -hmm. It's really close, though, right? I mean, it's. Just... Oh yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be close to giving it a ten. I just can't quite bring it. I might even bring it to a nine point five. Yeah, it's just, it's so good. It is a wonderful movie. If it didn't make me cry so much, I might give it a ten. <laughs> so what happened next? Well, Tom Hanks went on to Castaway, which was actually the same year. The Road to Perdition. Catch Me If You Can, The Lady Killers, The Terminal, Polar Express, The Da Vinci Code, 
Charlie Wilson's War, Angels and Demons, Cloud Atlas, Captain Phillips, Saving Mr. Banks. And I wrote Being Amazing. Just Being Amazing in general, yes. Yeah, that thing you do as well. I love that movie. <laughs> I could watch that movie over and over. Yeah, if you haven't seen a Tom Hanks movie in the last... Yeah, what rock are you 20 years, under? come on, yeah. The guy, is, he's out there. He's yeah. a huge actor and he does quality performances. And I added a little note to this that uh, the man who plays the older version of Paul, uh, Dabs Greer, if you recognize him but you can't place him, probably recognize him as Reverend Alden from Little House on the Prairie because that's like know. the thing that people recognize him from. I've never seen Little House on the Prairie. I Pretty much all I know about it is that... That it's a little house on the prairie? Yeah, but I, <laughs> I remember the reference from Lost when, when oh, okay. Sawyer mentioned... He calls it Little House and Kate thinks it's funny. Okay. Yeah, everyone calls it Little House, really. It, it's a huge deal here. Yeah. Little House on the... Everyone's seen it. I mean, it's like people go back and rewatch it. It's yeah. just such a part of our youth. When you see him, a lot of people will go... Oh, God, I know who that is, but I can't place it. And he's lost a bit of weight, so yeah. he looks different. But that's where you know him from. And then David Morse, who plays, what's his Brut- name? Um, Brutus. Brutal, thanks. Proof of Life, Hearts in Atlantis, which is another Stephen King movie. Mm-hmm. Nearing Grace, 16 Blocks, Disturbia, The Hurt Locker, Shanghai, Drive Away, Drive Angry, sorry, Yellow, World War Z, Winter in in the Blood, Horns, and I added Contact because I like that movie. (laughs) And he was good in Disturbia. Yeah, he was. And Michael Clark Duncan went on to The Whole Nine Yards, Planet of the Apes, The Scorpion King, Daredevil, Debs, Pursued, Sin City, The Island. Oh, he was great in The Island. Yeah. Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, School for Scoundrels, One Way, the Last Mimsy, Slipstream, Green Lantern, and A Resurrection. Talladega Nights, hilarious. Yeah. And The great. Last Mimsy. If you have not seen The Last Mimsy, go watch it right now. Seriously. Mm. I put, haven't seen it. Put down this podcast and go watch it. <laughs> and Rain, then come back and listen to the rest yeah, of the Yeah, Rain Wilson is brilliant in it. Cool. Oh, it's just so good. Okay, Bonnie Hunt uh, was in Return to Me. A Voice in Monsters, Inc., Stolen Summer, Cheaper by the Dozen, and Cheaper by the Dozen, too. Cars, I Want Someone to Eat Cheese With. What? I have no idea. <laughs> Me either. Hurricane Season, and she does voices in Toy Story movies yeah. as well. And then James Cromwell went on to Space Cowboys, The Sum of All Fears, Black Ball, The Snowwalker, I, Robot, The Longest Yard, The Queen, Becoming Jane, Spider-Man 3, W. <laughs> you got to say it like that. W. W. Surrogates, A Lonely Place for Dying, Secretariat, The Artist, Hideaway, Memorial Day, Soldiers of Fortune, Still Mine, and most recently was in A Voice in Big Hero 6. Was Babe before this movie? I believe it was. Babe okay. was mid-90s. Okay. Yeah. But you might know him from Babe. Yeah. Uh, Barry Pepper was in Battlefield Earth. We all fall down. We were soldiers. Who's really good? And we were soldiers. The Snow Walker. The Three Burials of Melchiades Estrada. Flags of Our Fathers. Seven Pounds. Casino Jack. True Grit. Snitch. The Lone Ranger. 
and in the upcoming Maze Runner Scorch Trial. Maze Runner is out, right? Yeah. Yeah, the Maze Runner came out It's, it's out on DVD. I could go on about that movie for a while, so don't get me started. Okay. Plot holes galore. Oh, okay. Well, it's a dystopian <laughs> movie. They're just going to throw those out on the shelf as long as yeah. it's in, in vogue. So anyway, moving on. <laughs> Sam Rockwell went on to Galaxy Quest. Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, Matchstick Men, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So funny. The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. Frost Nixon, Moon, Iron Man 2, The Way Way Back, and upcoming in the remake of Poltergeist. Yeah, that poster for Poltergeist. Mm. Why is she not looking at the TV? (laughs) I'm just throwing that out there. She's looking at blinds. What is that about? Okay. Just wait and see. Doug Hutchinson was in Bait, I Am Sam, No Good Deed, The Burrowers, Punisher Warzone, and Give Him Hell Malone. And then we have Michael Jader. He went on to South of Heaven, West of Hell, The Gift, Jurassic Park 3. So we did see him recently. Well, not that recently. Well, it was the set that travis and i were doing <laughs> oh oh yes. you heard from him recently. yes yeah. yes okay. we were talking about him <laughs> uh welcome to collinwood open range the polar express and he unfortunately passed away in 2003 when he had a seizure in his home so, yes yeah we did talk about that when we were talking about jurassic park three yeah mm. i miss him michael jeter is so talented mm. uh jeffrey demun of the walking dead fame uh, was in The Majestic, Swimming Upstream, The Lucky Ones, Hollywood Land, The Mist, Burn After Reading, Six Souls, Another Happy Day, and, again, The Walking Dead. And yeah. as I mentioned earlier, Frank Darabont cast him a lot, including all of his released movies to date. Frank yes. Darabont does have a movie that's uh, being filmed as we speak, and he is not in the credits for that, although I would not be surprised to see him. In that film, before it goes out, there's only like three people in the IMDb list right now. So. Yeah, he'll definitely show up, even if it's a, just a side just character. Just a cameo. Or, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's <laughs> He been would in, definitely be in there. Yeah, he's been in two other King movies, The Mist and The Shawshank Redemption. And again, those are both Darabont films. So. And then we have Graham Greene, who went on to Snow Dogs, Transamerica, Running Mates, Winter's Tale. Yep. But he's been in a lot of different things. So Yeah, you know, those were the main ones that I thought yeah. were. After that, yeah. Mm. And Patricia Clarkson, who was nominated for a Supporting Actress Oscar from Pieces of April. After oh, I love movie. that movie. Yeah. yeah. She was in Welcome to Collingwood. Six Feet Under was one of her main roles. Good Night and Good Luck, All the King's Men, Lars and the Real Girl, Shutter Island, Easy A. She was wonderful in Easy A. Uh, Friends with Benefits, One Day, and the original Maze Runner. There you go. Um, And she also played Ron Swanson's first wife, Tammy. (laughs) Not not his second wife, Tammy. (laughs) Or his mother, Tammy. (laughs) God. Parks and Rec is so fun. I love Parks and Rec. All right, so Harry Dean Stanton went on to Alpha Dogs, You, Me, and Dupree, Inland Empire, The Good Life, Big Love, Rango, and Avengers. But he's been in more stuff. Oh, of course, yeah. Again, that's yeah, these are just some like key points. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, right? It's yeah. After. And Gary Sinise, 
who was in Forrest Gump with Tom Hanks before mm. this movie. After this movie, he was in Reindeer Games, Mission to Mars, Open Season, Captain America the Winter Soldier, and is, I think, CSI New York is off the air now, but he was on CSI New York for its entire run. Yeah, I think that was the first spin-off suicide show, wasn't it? I think so. If it wasn't that, then it was definitely Miami. Miami or New York. I'm not sure which one was first. I can't remember. I don't watch them, so... I watched, like, the first CSI when it first came on. Yeah. My mom got addicted to it, so I was like, oh, I cannot watch this movie. (laughs) This show. (laughs) Sorry. All right, so a few things in the same vein. Forrest Gump, The Shawshank Redemption, Silence of the Lambs, Seabiscuit, The Natural, Hearts in Atlantis, and Meet Joe Black. I wanted to ask, what is the movie uh, Powder? Is that the Powder. Movie? The, with um, Jeff Goldblum. Yes. I would yeah. recommend that movie as well. Hmm. If you like this movie. Good thinking. I, I think of it in... In a similar vein. Well, I think it's time to cap off our Name That Movie. Now it's the time of the show. We like to stump the host. Oh yeah. We play a little game. And no two are ever the same. And that's how we like it. It's fun and exciting. You might even say that it's groovy. It's Name That Movie. What are you going to ask me this week? All right. So last week we left off. We were at Jack and Jill. Yep. I did get that one. Yes, you did. Okay. And that movie co-starred Katie Holmes. Speaking of Pieces of April before. Okay. Probably one of her best performances. Okay. So Katie also appeared in this film with Christian Bale. Oh. Okay. Do you want a clue? Yes, please. It also co-stars... Liam Neeson. Another clue, please. It is the first of an epic trilogy. Yes. Batman Begins. Yes. Thank you. Very good. Of course, Katie Holmes was replaced in her role later yes. <laughs> yes. by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Correct. Of uh, who was also in Secretary with James Spader. <laughs> oh man, Just, six degrees of yeah, making out. Triple connections everywhere. That's right. <laughs> Thank you. I just needed one other clue to, to snap the movie into my head. The last clue I had was it stars Christian Bale in a transformative lead role. So you're doing Batman movies. So that is the next set. Travis is actually going to be joined by Ryan from Gotham Undercover nice. for a, another GSM crossover. And they will be discussing three Batman films with Key changes in the Batmobile. Oh, nice. Which was uh, an idea that Ryan had. So they're going to be discussing Batman 89 with uh, Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to be discussing Batman Forever. Okay. And then capping it off with Batman Begins. Excellent. Except for Batman Forever. See, I said excellent and I didn't want people to think that I was attributing excellent to all three of those films. Yes. The first and the last one, yeah, it's excellent and no one not so much. But hey, you know, <laughs> can't win them all. So, so I hope uh, the listeners will join us for some discussion on Batman. Yeah, very cool. I'll be listening. Well, moving on to our triple quote. Last week we had, did you ever flashy thing me? And I knew, I knew, I knew. Uh, yeah, 
Yes, it's from Men in Black. And we have six winners this week. I think this is the most interaction we've had on a triple quote yet. This is very, <laughs> wow. very exciting. Wow. That um, our dear, dear listeners are getting involved in the triple quote. Thank you so much for playing. You would have had seven if I replied because I knew right off the bat which one it was. Yeah. I mean, we've been playing the game for a while and, you know, we'll, sometimes we won't get any correct answers. Sometimes we'll maybe get one or two, but six this week. Nice. Thank you so much for playing, guys. It's I so like good. It. Did you have a flashy thing, me? No. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So we have at Solo Talk Media, which is Mark. Mm-hmm. And he says, Men in Black, of course. Yep. Very matter of fact. Um, at Gibby Nader says Men in Black. At KMK Miller says, Oh, that's got to be a Men in Black thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At Jay Z Nuccio says Men in Black. At A Cortesi says Classic Line from Men in Black. And finally, at Tangier14, a.k.a. Barb, who is awesome, says, Manny Black, yes! (laughs) Lots of exclamation points there. Yes. And I'm assuming that's exactly how she would say it. Yes, yes, it is. She just filled in on Witness Prophecies last night, so. Oh, awesome. Yep. Hi, Barb. We love you, Barb. All right. So thank you again for playing, guys. We love it. And of course, this week. Congratulations, winners. Of course, again, this week, we're putting out another triple quote. And this week's is, he was into that whole Yale thing. Hmm. So a bit of a thinker. Yeah. (laughs) So, of course, we will put that out on our Twitter. And you can respond using the hashtag GSM triple quote. And that, you know, helps us find you and, of course, give you a shout-out. No Googling. That's cheating. Yes, exactly. Of course, how are we going to moderate that? Get it from out of your head. (laughs) Because I say so, that's why. Hey, if I could get Jack and Jill last week from out of my head, then you can get he was into that whole Yale thing from out of your head. All right. right. So just one little bit of feedback here. A tweet that came in. Uh, from at Special Feats, which is the Special Features podcast. Uh, a friend of mine actually hosts that. His name is Nath Fontaine. <laughs> and um, he, he's, he tweets, uh, been loving the podcast lately. The King Triple Cast so far has been great. Looking forward to the Green Mile. So we hope you've enjoyed the episode, Nath. Thank you very much. But um, I recommend checking out the Special Features podcast. They discuss music. Sometimes they discuss movies. Very cool. interesting. Excellent. Yeah. I like so, it. of course, you can contact us. You can leave feedback at goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback. Type out an email or leave a voice message using the speakerpipe widget. Alternatively, you can call 304-837-2278. You can follow us on Twitter at GSM or follow Golden Spiral Media at GSM Podcasts. Also like us on Facebook or join the Triplecast group. Come over and have some awesome film conversation at facebook.com slash groups slash Triplecast. And if you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate, review us on iTunes. Always very helpful. And I want to say, I'm wagging my finger and I'm hoping Jeff Childs actually is listening to this episode like he promised he would. <laughs> but you can find all of Golden Spiral Media's shows at goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Very simple. It has been so great 
talking to you about some Stephen King adaptations. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. I loved doing this with you, Corey. We'd love to have you back sometimes, maybe for a Sleepy Hollow crossover or something. That would be great. That would be cool. <laughs> if we could figure out some sort of hook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Revolutionary War movies, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? All right. Well, until next time, I ain't never seen me a flicker show. And I need to take my cats down to Mouseville. Triplecast is a production of Golden Spiral Media. Intro and outro music is provided by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com. For more information about this or other Golden Spiral Media podcasts, visit GoldenSpiralMedia.com. For advertising and support opportunities, visit GoldenSpiralMedia.com slash support. Copyright 2015, Golden Spiral Media. <laughs>